Welcome to Fit for the Kingdom. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fit for the Kingdom. I am your host, Dusty Young. Thank you so much for joining us uh, again. Um, our listenership is growing, and uh, you know I'm I'm really excited about that. I've not even really done any promotion. So, uh, if you're a part of our Fit for the Kingdom uh, Facebook group, thank you so much. Uh, be sure to share this podcast with your friends, uh, especially those that you know um, are perhaps embarking on a health journey of, the, of their own. Today's episode is going to be tricky. Um, the main reason why is because I am not a mental health professional. Um, you know, we do some counseling um, <clears throat> as pastors. But um, I'm going to be talking about things that I am not qualified to talk about from a psychological standpoint or from uh, you know train a training type of uh, type of way. But I have uh, I am qualified in the sense that I am winning the battle against these things, and this is how I'm winning that battle. So, uh, before I dive into these uh, different, you know, mental challenges, um, I, I, I feel like it's very necessary for me to kind of give that disclaimer. I don't think that anybody that's listening to this podcast is under the presumption that I am some sort of psychologist or anything like that. Uh, if you thought that, I'm sorry, but I don't think anybody thinks that. Um, I've been very uh, open and transparent with this podcast that um, there's a lot of things that people who are more qualified than me could discuss and you could find better voices to listen to probably on YouTube uh, people that have received a lot better education but I think that what I can lend to this is personal experience and um, a, a willingness that I have nothing to gain and nothing to lose um, as I mentioned in a previous episode, I don't have any sponsors. I don't have a product to sell. I don't have a, a program that I've written that, you know, two payments of $30 will get you this and you get a trial period and all that. I don't have any of that. I literally am trying to do this to help a few people that I love a lot. And um, I'm opening it up to anybody that's willing to listen. Now, so today's topic is this mental challenges that we must all overcome uh i record this with the understanding that not not everybody has the same hurdles to jump over not everybody has the same baggage not everybody has the same um you know eating disorders not everybody has the same type of relationship with food um, however I do believe that food addictions 
that eating disorders are a lot more common than what is being currently diagnosed. And I think the reason is because diet has become something that everybody, uh, you know, everybody has their own approach and we let people stay in their sickness because uh, we don't want to be labeled as being, um, you know, bigoted or uh, unsympathetic towards somebody or something like that. And so we allow people to continue in poor health uh, out of our own self-preservation, you know. And, uh, so I, and, and so because of that, people don't say what they really think. Or people don't uh, speak up whenever they, you know, know that a loved one needs them to speak up. And with that being said, whether it's us or whether it's somebody that we love, we don't tend to seek out help in this area. And whenever we don't seek professional help, then there's far few, uh, there's far fewer diagnoses that are probably, uh, you know, than than what we need. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about um, my journey through kind of the mental side of all of this, and um, maybe you can identify with this and maybe you can't, you know, Um, but I I do plan to maybe lay kind of a, uh, a, a, an an overall type of way to approach things that can perhaps apply across the board. Now, as we all well know, that uh, you know, if if we approach diet, um, there, there there's there's a the problem is there's a million wrong ways to approach diet, and only a few right ways to approach diet, <laughs> and uh, you cannot just set out on this randomly, hoping to arrive at the correct destination. I can't get in my car and just drive and, you know, take random roads and then just assume that I'll eventually end up in my destination. There is, uh, you know, a right way to do this. Now, um, let's just take the concept first of diet, all right? Um, Where I see a lot of people stall out or not make any progress are it, it... it happens all the time, and especially with people I try to help. Um, there's this there's this concept of as long as I take enough steps, I can eat whatever I want. Or as long as I, if I go to the gym, then I'm going to go to the gym just so that I can eat crazy. Well, friends, this is not a very healthy approach to food. The, the old saying goes, you cannot outrun a bad diet. A bad diet runs faster than you. <laughs> um, so, so listen. I uh, one of the reasons why I see people, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do an entire podcast just on plateaus. But I'm just gonna tell you, a lot of times what I see uh, whenever people get stuck, because that's what's frustrating. It's a lot of people can make those first, you know, ten pounds fall off, but then they get stuck, or then they, you know, go back up or whatever. You've got to, that, that tells me that you're not changing, you might be changing your diet a little bit, but you're not changing your relationship with food. And so, uh, 
we're going to take this from that approach. Okay, whatever obstacle you have to overcome, I want you to think of this not as if a diet, a prescribed way of eating is going to be what conquers your poor relationship with food. We've got to fix our relationship with food and then uh, we will be able to stick to a better way of eating. Okay. Um, so, so I, let's, let's talk about a few hurdles that I had to overcome in my own uh, journey. Okay. I grew up with a very, very poor relationship with food. Um, I had a lot of things that I kept inside as a kid, and I think I think this is pretty common. I don't think that I had some super uncommon childhood, and this is probably one of the reasons why I feel like it's valuable for me to share uh, some of this. And um, and I'm also going to be very cautious in how I portray this as being careful not to be over dramatic or to try to you know make you pity me or anything like that, especially because uh, my dad. Uh, is a listener uh, of this podcast, and I want to make sure that he knows that he did his best, and uh, he, my, my mom and dad did not mess me up, okay? It was it was the environment that I was in, and it was me making poor decisions in my environment over and over that created habits, and then those habits created a relationship with food that was that was not good, okay? So, now that we got all that out there, um, I grew up as a latchkey kid. Again, my parents couldn't help this. This was not something that, you know, they set out and said, hey, I think I want our son to be a latchkey kid. And for those that don't know what that term means, uh, this refers to a kid that comes home and is alone uh, while the parents are still working. And, uh, you know, it would be it would be sometimes six, seven o'clock uh occasionally later than that but not very often was it later than that that my parents would get home and this is I'm getting home at like 2:30 uh class let out at our school at 2:15 and so I had those uh you know those hours every day you know 4 5 sometimes a little more than that these hours where I was alone at the house I let myself in the door I did not grow up with brothers and sisters I was an only child and um and so this, I, I have had to search through what what started my poor relationship with food. And I think that my, I, I really think that my bad habits started here, okay? And so if you're, if you're wanting to see how you can apply some of these things in this kind of overall thing that everybody can use, number one is going to be try to identify where your bad habits with food first started. Okay? Because I can't tell you the progress that I made just by identifying what season of life I was in. Okay? Whenever I started these bad habits. Um, when, I, when I would come home from school, I would go straight to the refrigerator, which that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I still do that today. Whenever I walk in the house, I go straight to the fridge. I open it, and a lot of times I don't even get, get anything out. I just kind of, I just kind of want to look at what's in that fridge, you know. And uh, that in itself is not a destructive behavior. But where 
where my bad habits started was I remember day after day after day after day after day in my childhood coming home, opening up the refrigerator, and whether it was true or whether it was not true, and this was my perception, but I, what, what came to me was, oh no, we have no food to eat, okay? Now, I'm sure that if I did some digging in the cabinets, you know, I may have found something. I'm sure that if I did some digging, you know, around, maybe there, maybe there was some stuff. But my point is that I remember constantly I would come home, open the fridge, and all I would see would be cans of Diet Coke and A1 sauce and mustard in the door. I, we had tons of condiments, but it didn't feel like we ever had any food. And 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 whenever you get whenever you start breaking things down and I start realizing well there there was food in the house but number one it was food that I would have to prepare and I didn't want to do that uh, number two the food that we did have dad I love you I love you dearly um, you know but the food that we did have was processed foods okay not the worst foods in the world but processed foods and Number three, there were very there were very few options that were fresh and whole foods. So, in my head, we got nothing to eat. Now, the caveat to this is, I think that if I would have opened up the fridge and I would have seen bell peppers and onions and mushrooms and broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and asparagus and, <clears throat> and raw pork and raw chicken, all of these are really awesome things, but I'm trying to make a point here. If I would have opened up the fridge and seen all of those things, I probably still would have closed the fridge and said, man, there's no nothing to eat. Because in our heads, we look for convenience as much as we look for anything else. And so my bad habits with food go back to me being a teenager, not being... Uh, willing to you know try to cook which really wasn't my place in the house to cook we didn't have leftovers because we went out so much we went we went to restaurants all the time and um, you know I, I definitely started my bad behaviors there okay now what what I started to what I did to compensate for all of that because you know if you see pictures of me as a teenager I was heavy back then so it's like okay well, if you didn't have food in the house, how in the world were you heavy? Well, you don't know what I did, okay? What I did was I would go into uh, into my sock drawer and I would dig out, you know, uh, through, through my little bit of cash that I had made working in the summer with my grandfather. And then I would walk to the general convenience store just across the railroad tracks and I would buy an extra large Coke Icy I would buy a large size bag of Cheetos, two hot dogs, and I'd cover them with nacho cheese and some ding-dongs, and I would eat that almost every day, okay? Now, now it should not be a shock to you why I was a heavy teenager, why I was a heavy kid, and why this became my pattern, it became my, my way of eating, my, my woe, so to speak. And uh, 
really, I, I, I stumbled upon this, that food became a medication for me. Whether it was from my loneliness, not having a, a sibling or not having my parents home, whether it was, you know, dealing with the bullies at school who picked on me for being fat, whatever it was, the food became a release for me. And so this is the first obstacle that I've had to overcome, and that is this, emotional or stress eating. Okay, emotional eating or stress eating. I, you may think, well, why are we even talking about this? Why are we wasting our time? Let me tell you, we're not wasting our time talking about these things. You can find any number of YouTube channels where they'll tell you about protein and well, where they'll tell you about all these different ab exercises that promises to give you a six-pack. But if you don't change your relationship with food, it does not matter how many crunches you do, your belly's still going to be big. Okay? You've got to, you've got to reconcile whether or not you have a good or bad relationship with food. And if you've got a bad relationship with food, you got to fix it. Otherwise, you're never going to see any real progress, okay? Because the people, the people that lose weight and gain it right back, the people that drop off and then gain it right back, they, they you know, shrink a, a dress size and then, they, and then they go up two sizes. They take one step forward and three steps back. These are people that have a poor relationship with food, okay? And we think that some regimented, prescribed diet is going to fix our eating disorders, that's wrong okay so uh, so anyways let's 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 take these one at a time the first thing that I had to overcome was my my emotional eating or my stress eating okay I had to identify my causes why I went to food when I was emotional or whenever I was stressed out I'll tell you what it was for me for me it was a way to take my mind off of my problems. It's like if I'm eating, I'm not thinking about these other things. You know, I'm not thinking about my loneliness. Or if I'm eating, I'm not thinking about that bully. Or if I'm eating, I'm not thinking about the grades that I'm worried about. Or if I'm eating, I'm not, I've, you know, it's, it's something to occupy my time. Okay? My second cause of emotional or stress eating was because this was easy guaranteed enjoyment okay this was you have to look at what what the food does on a chemical level in your brain the I want to say it's dopamine that is released in your brain whenever you taste something that tastes really good it is something that is easy that I know that I can enjoy and it's really it's it's super accessible for me so, so anytime that I was emotional, anytime I was stressed out, it was like this is a guaranteed pick-me-up. I've never been disappointed or let down by a donut. You know, I've, I've never had a pizza that called me ugly or called me fat. I've never had. And so there's this sense of security. There's this sense of, um, you know, I, I just want to detach right now from, what's, from what my problems are. And... And so these are these are kind of your your typical uh, your typical reasons why you have these uh, ties to emotional or stress eating. Uh, for each of these, it's going to be important for you to figure out your triggers. Okay, 
So for me, um, a big trigger for emotional or stress eating is uh, is whenever we start to have some money problems. Whenever uh, you know, whenever you've got to transfer out of savings into checking over and over to make sure you don't overdraw. Yeah, that's whenever I start to eat more. Whenever, uh, whenever uh, for now, whenever I'm a pastor, even after just you know trying to overcome these behaviors and I'm doing a good job. But whenever my Bible studies, whenever the people that I'm trying to minister to or the people that I love or the people I'm connected to, when they are going through a crisis, I will end up eating a lot. It's I, I it's because this has become my method of medication. And so it's like this solves all problems. If I just eat, then it's, it's me reverting back to that. This is how I forget about what's wrong. Okay. I know we're, we're, I'm talking super real, uh, you, you either embrace it or, you know, find a different podcast. This is how we're going to do things. We got to be real folks. So what do I do? Number one, my number one option for every one of these is going to be try to find some professional help. Okay. My purpose in this episode is not necessarily to be able to solve all these problems for you. I'm not qualified to do that but maybe identify these problems and then take this to somebody that knows what they're talking about. So I can't tell you, there are food psychologists out there. There are nutritionists out there. There are, you know, regular psychologists that are, that are super qualified to help you go back into your childhood or go back into where those behaviors began, figure out why that happened, why you chose food, you know, why it was that you went in this direction and then treat it professionally. So that's my number one recommendation for all of these is to find professional treatment or uh, find professional help. And you'd be surprised there's a lot of insurance companies out there that actually cover counseling. And so look into that, okay? If you if you feel like this is you, I'm telling you, it, it would be worth it. It would be worth it for you to just have two meetings with somebody that is qualified and talk this out. You'd be amazed You'd be amazed at what it could accomplish. Number two, uh, if I'm making a recommendation, find replacement behaviors. Okay? So what I mean by this is if I know that me being stressed leads to one behavior, then I can swap that behavior, ideally, for a healthier behavior, and then at least I will have some some way of detoxing from this, this emotional peak or this stressful peak, that is something healthy for me to do. So for me, I replaced eating with a few things. I replaced it with reading. I replaced it with, uh, with educational, like YouTube videos and things like that. I replaced it with workout, with exercise, with weightlifting. I replaced it with, uh, friend with, with time with my friends. There were times whenever I would call a buddy of mine, you know, and say, Hey, I just, you want to do something. And that's, this was me saying, let's, let's, let's figure out a way where I can get somebody around me that I know is on my sides. I know somebody's on my team. And, you know, if I, if I tap into this person, then maybe, maybe this will give me that reprieve that food used to give me. Uh, getting outdoors and hiking, camping. These are things that for me became replacement behaviors that whenever my stress level starts to get super high, 
or whenever my emotional problem, you know, my, my emotions get super high, then I, I can replace my eating disorders with other behaviors that still give me that release or still give me that satisfaction or still give me that reprieve, but they're not calories <laughs> that I'm that I know I'm not gonna burn. Okay? So that's the first one that I had to conquer was emotional eating or stress eating. The second thing that I had to conquer was this nasty thing called binge eating disorder. And what you'll notice is, and I was one of these people, with a lot of people, emotional eating is paired together with binge eating or stress eating is paired together with binging. Okay? So, um, I want to give you I want to give you signs to you know how do I know if I am suffering from binge eating okay so these are uh, I'll give you I'll give you a, like a top six list okay uh, I found this uh, with uh, the Mayo Clinic number one eating unusually large amounts of food in a specific amount of time such as over a two-hour period. Um, how do I know if it's unusually large? If I gauge that by looking at what others are eating and mine is substantially more than them. Now, I'm not talking about if you're surrounded by other people that have binge, dis, uh, binge eating disorder. I'm talking about people that you know are in good health. And, uh, you know, I would, I would look at what my brother-in-law, Zachary, uh, would be eating. And it was, you know, I would literally eat twice as much, sometimes three times as much as him. That, that tells me that I'm, I'm binging right now. Number two, feeling that your eating behavior is out of control. That feeling of, you know, I just can't seem to stop myself. Number three, eating even when you're full or not hungry. You know, whenever you feel like, ah, I'm not hungry, but I could eat. That's what somebody says whenever they've got an unhealthy relationship with food. Okay. I'm, I'm later in the episode I'm going to be talking about listening to your hunger cues and trusting being able to listen to your own body okay we don't need to be eating by certain times of the day and being like this is when I eat lunch this is when I eat supper we need to be listening to what our hormones are telling us and saying to to yourself hey this is not a craving you're actually hungry meaning you need fuel okay but yeah number four eating rapidly during binge episodes, your the speed in which you eat are the speed of which you eat is 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 super super linked to binge eating disorder. What I've heard it described as, or what I read that it was described as, is I'm not able to even appreciate what is currently in my mouth because all I'm thinking about what is is what is not in my mouth. Meaning, I'm. I'm reaching for the next chip, searching for that one that's got all the cheese dust on it. <laughs> and so because of that, I, I'm, not even, I'm not even savoring what I'm currently eating or what's currently in my mouth. I'm just thinking about what's next. That is a sign that you're binge eating. Number five, eating until you're uncomfortably full. Okay, so if you're, if you're not feeling good after a meal, you've eaten too much. Okay, a meal should be to replenish your gas tank, your fuel tank, and not so much that the tank is, you know, needing to rupture. And number six, 
this is one that people forget about a lot and I know it would feel it would probably feel a lot better to some of y'all if I did a top five but I couldn't leave this one out number six is frequently eating alone in secret or in private so as to avoid people seeing the quantity and the speed of what you're eating all right so going through that list I had to ask myself is this me well let me tell you I had six out of six okay I definitely definitely was binge eating for sure okay now what I had to do was I had to ask ask myself why why am I doing this okay and your why is probably going to be different than mine okay but I all I can do is share with you my why my why is this I started to realize that I was scared that I would leave hungry at a restaurant I wanted to make sure that I left not just satisfied I wanted to leave stuffed okay I just Forgive me, but I just feel like there's a lot of people that are going to identify with what I'm sharing on this episode, okay? Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe people are better off than what I think, but I just feel like there's a lot of people out there that are like me that before before I got healthy, I felt like if I didn't leave stuffed, then I was, I'd wasted my money, you know? If, if the portion sizes didn't hang off the sides of the plate then I wasn't getting what my money's worth okay now this is this is uh, I, I've, we, we've got to talk about some some things here okay you have got to come to the place where you can be at peace knowing that you are surrounded by food and you're surrounded by people who are not going to hold you back from food Okay, and that can either be a really good thing for your peace of mind, or that can be a really toxic thing for feeding a binge problem. What I'm getting at is this. I was always worried that I would not be full. What I had to do is I had to come to terms with the fact that like early on, when they set, uh, they set chips and salsa out in front of me, I, I need to pace myself on that and assure myself that by the end of that entire meal, I'm gonna be full. So it doesn't require me eating four baskets of chips in order for me to become full. And how many times have you sat down and you've eaten so many chips that you couldn't enjoy the thing that you actually paid for? I know I'm talking to you right now. Listen, you cannot afford to nurture and continue this binge eating disorder and then just project that onto a prescribed way of eating or a diet and hope that all of your health problems will go away. You're going to have to fix these, this relationship with food. You're going to have to fix this before you can move forward. Okay, so for me, number one, I had to assure myself that I had to, I had to learn to trust myself. I'm going to become full. I will get full. Okay, I will get full. And that doesn't mean I'm going to I will get stuffed. That means exactly what I meant. I will become full. All right? I don't have to load my plate down. I don't have to load everything down and eat a ton to be full. Okay? Um 
let's talk about something else. Uh, in order for me to overcome that binge eating, it's gonna, it's, it required me to move in the exact opposite direction of these six things. So I made sure that I did not eat alone. Okay. I made sure that, that I did not eat until I was uncomfortably full. I monitored my speed when I was eating and I decided that I was going to eat slower. Okay. And that, look, that, these are all internal things. Okay. Uh, I decided that I, before I ate, I was going to ask myself, am I actually hungry or am I just having a craving? Right. Um, I, and, and I would take my portion sizes and, uh, you know, I would, I would intentionally say to myself, okay, I want to have half of this particular side left over when I'm done. And you know what I did to personally, I started dividing that side and I would take, I would put that on somebody else's plate. Okay. <laughs> and now they got their own eating problems to deal with. <laughs> That was a joke. That was a joke. Calm down, everybody. That was a joke. My wife is perfectly fine if she has half of my broccoli and cheese. Okay, you get what I'm saying? She, she's going to be just fine with a few more beans and rice. All right? So, uh, lighten up. So, this is what I started, this is what I started doing, okay? Um, I give myself permission to eat any time that I am truly hungry. Again, I've covered this in another episode. You need to determine whether you're actually hungry or whether you're just having a craving. And the difference, if you don't remember what I said earlier, the difference is if you're actually hungry, then anything sounds delicious. Anything sounds good. And so I could offer you something that's a very healthy choice and you would say, yes, let's do that. If that's the case, then you're really hungry. But if I were to offer you something that's really healthy and you say, no, 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 let's not do that. And then I were to offer you something that's unhealthy and you say, oh yeah, that's the thing. Then you're not hungry. You're just having a, a craving. And the beautiful thing about cravings is they change and they go away. What I mean by that is whenever I first started this, I would crave pizza. I can't tell you how long it took me to get over pizza. I feel like it's literally a relationship that I broke off. It took me forever. I was, I was in the diet and, uh, you know, I'm the chaplain for a local football team. I would go to the football game, and after the football game, uh, in the fourth quarter, I would go ahead and make my order at Pizza Hut, and, uh, and I would get a large, like, meat lover's pizza, and I would, eat, I would eat just the toppings, so I stayed in the whole keto thing. Uh, never mind the crazy amount of fat, the crazy amount of calories that I was taking in, but, I, you know, it's true that it's better than eating the whole thing with the crust and all. I, that's true. But this wasn't helping my eating disorder, folks. I was eating an entire large pizza toppings on the drive home from a football game every Friday. And I couldn't figure out why in the world it was that I was stalling out at like 260. You know, I'm like, oh, my body's broke. I just, my body just can't get under 260. Well, no, no. It can get under 260, but it cannot get under 260 if I'm still binging pizza toppings every Friday night. You see where I'm at, folks? So I want you to give yourself permission. I give myself permission to eat when I'm hungry, anytime I'm hungry, okay? It doesn't matter what time you eat. It, it really doesn't. 
as long as the calories balance out, you know, uh, and really it's even more than just a 24 hour period. It's more like a week average. Okay. But that's another episode. Um, I, it's okay to eat any time that you're truly hungry. Listen to your body and eat when you're hungry, not when you have a craving, but when you're hungry. Here's the thing though. If I give myself permission to eat anytime I'm hungry, then the caveat to that is when I eat, it will be healthy things. Okay. When I'm going to eat anytime I'm hungry, but what I eat is going to be healthy. Okay. Now that doesn't mean steer directly into the things that you hate the most. Okay. Find the parts of your diet of the healthy diet that you really like and play into those things. Okay. If you used to eat a ton, a ton of calories and carbs and you love keto because it, you get a lot of bacon if you want, then, then that's okay. Steer in, steer towards the bacon. Okay. Now, again, I, I'm, I worry whenever we have too little protein and too much fat, but this is about healthier choices than I used to make. And I said this before in a previous episode, there are a lot of things that you can get away with early on that later in your, you know, later in your journey, you can't get away with them anymore. So some people I'm like, Hey, go ahead and do it now. <laughs> Cause you can still lose weight and do it now. And then later on, whenever you start to shed, you know, more and more fat, we'll have to cut that out later, but go ahead and do it now. Okay. So I feel like I'm rambling when you eat. Okay. Give yourself permission to eat anytime you're hungry, but when you eat, I'm going to eat what is within the parameters that I agreed upon. Okay. Um, I got two more things to give you and then I'm, and then I'm done. Um, I want to give you some reading recommendations. If you have identified, you know, or if, if you have really felt like, Hey, I, I think I might be dealing with, um, with binge eating. I've read three books on binge eating. You don't have to read all three. You can, and you can really pick either of these or uh, any of these three. Uh, I'd, I'll definitely say that two out of the three were, were better than the third, but I'm going to give you three book recommendations. The first is entitled never binge again, never binge again. And it's by Glenn Livingston. All right. The next one is called brain over binge. And this is by Katherine Hansen. And then finally, and this one was my favorite, Overcoming Binge Eating. And this is by Dr. Christopher G. Fairburn. And all three of these were good. Never Binge Again is is a very simple approach. The other two are more clinical. Um, So if you want something simple and it's an easier read, then Never Binge Again by Glenn Livingston. If you're like me and you want something that's a little more detailed, a little more scientific, but you know better information or more applicable information on more of an internal level, then I would recommend number three, Overcoming Binge Eating by Christopher Fairburn. Okay, Brain Over Binge is good, but I would keep that for supplemental reading if you just really are interested in this. Okay, so my top, if you want something simple, something easy, Never Binge Again by Glenn Livingston, If you want something that's a little more complex, uh, but better information, Overcoming Binge Eating by uh, Dr. Christopher Christopher Fairburn. Okay, those are reading recommendations. And the final thing that I wanted to talk about, okay, I had a question that came in. 
And I felt like this was such a good question that it deserved me to just to just end the episode with this, um, but like a full topic. And the topic is body dysmorphia. Okay, body dysmorphia. If you don't know body dysmorphia, the actual definition, it's a mental health disorder in which you cannot stop thinking about one or more perceived defects or flaws in your appearance. This is typically a flaw that appears minor or can't even be seen by others, but to you, it leads to embarrassment, shame, and anxiety. This is, uh, this is something very real, folks, and uh, this is something that I still suffer from. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not painting myself as some victim or somebody that, you know, y'all pray for me because I I am afflicted with this illness of body dysmorphia. No, this is something I think a lot of people deal with. Okay. So this is, this is common. Um, Body dysmorphia comes down to me. When I look in the mirror, I only see what's still wrong with my body. I don't see, and and I'll tell you another way that this manifests is everybody else can see your progress, but you have a hard time seeing your progress. I can't tell you how many times I've told my wife, I still feel like a big fat slob. And I know, like I, people tell me all the time, you look like a totally different person. Where's the other half of you? Man, you lost an entire person. Where's the rest of you? <laughs> you know, they're, they're real creative. That's great. And they mean well, and they, I have no problem with them saying all that nice stuff. That's, that's fantastic. But to me, I'm still this big fat guy. I'm still the same kid that got made fun of in school. I'm still the, the same kid that got picked last for the team. I'm, I'm still that guy. And, you know, I have worked out. I have worked out very consistently. We're talking five to six times a week for like two and a half years now. Okay, well, closer to two years. Um, I've I've put on a lot of muscle. I, you know, there are some places uh, where I am very happy with the development that I've that I've uh, achieved, and I'm getting embarrassed just even talking about this. But um, but there are some other places in my body that I'm still holding on to some fat. I've still, you know, you lose, you lose 130 pounds. You're going to have, you know, some, some areas that just don't really, you know, look good. My love handles, especially, you know, I've, I've looked at those for, for now a long time and they're just now starting to really come off. And, but other people, when they look at me, they don't really see love handles. I've, they, they see, you know, a, that tapered figure that I've been aiming for, the wide shoulders, the thin, the, <laughs> I can't say thin waist, but tapered waist, you know, compared to the shoulders and chest. That's what I was aiming for, and that's what other people see, but that's not what I see. I still see a belly. I still see a muffin top. I still see love handles. I still see, uh, you know, the, these things. I... I I'm the guy that that I will tilt my chin forward, uh, you know, accidentally in one picture, and next thing you know, I am obsessively thinking about the fact that I've lost 130 pounds and I could still potentially have a double chin. 
body dysmorphia is real and it's painful whenever you have worked so hard and all you can do is see the flaws it's so discouraging so this is what you've got to do I want you to turn a blind eye to those flaws I want you literally to stop looking at those areas of your body they will take care of themselves if you will change your behaviors okay but me looking at them will not cause them to speed up in improvement me obsessing over those parts of my body that is doing nothing to help my journey in taking care of those things okay so that's number one I literally want you to stop looking at those parts of your body and you're like well what if it's hey for me it's head to toe look for me it was head to toe when I first started so I get it uh, maybe we should do this not for how we look in the mirror maybe maybe I should focus on my energy levels maybe I should focus on my strength how how much I can lift or how long I can walk or how my blood pressure goes down maybe I should do maybe I should do this for those things I'm being a little you know sarcastic here you definitely should be doing it for those things and not for how you look in the mirror okay so that's that's number one stop looking at those parts of your body number two identify the other benefits of becoming healthy and number three I want you to link up with somebody I want you to partner with somebody and this is this would be really good if it was a spouse somebody that's a loved one that's quite close to you and just be honest with them and tell them hey I I'm trying to get healthy and I am obsessing over these parts of my body that I don't like every once in a while I might need an encouraging word okay and I know that's vulnerable I know that is, you know, you opening up to somebody about a weakness that you have. But let me tell you, the people that that you're surrounded with, they love you so much they would do anything to see you benefit and to see you healthier. And it's nothing for them to take a moment to tell you, hey, you're looking good. I can't tell you whenever my wife would, you know, wink at me or, you know, she would come by and she would she'd feel my my arms you know or something like that that oh my gosh that just made me light up it made me feel like all of that work was worth it and that was enough for me at least to get my mind off of what what I had issues with with my with the way that I looked because ultimately I wasn't doing it for myself I wanted to do this so that I could be better for my family so that I could live a longer life and whenever, whenever I started seeing my blood pressure come down and I was able to get off of blood pressure, uh, blood pressure medicine and I'm sitting now at a perfect 120 over 72, you know, anytime I check it and a resting heart rate of like 45. And, you know, when I, when I started seeing those improvements, being able to preach you know, with, with greater strength and being done and not being sick, you know, <clears throat> being able to lift more weight at the gym, go longer on the treadmill, uh, go for longer hikes, being able to do all of those things really started outweighing 
uh, pun intended, I guess, my, my drama, my issues, my internal conflicts. Okay. My last episode was health from the inside out. And so I took that from a, from a biblical standpoint. This was me trying to take it from an emotional standpoint, but our health has got to start inward. Okay. You cannot slap the bandaid of a diet over poor eating disorders and then assume that the diet is going to work everything out. You've got to work everything out while you're dieting and then overcome these challenges and you'll make it the whole rest of the way. I promise if you'll prioritize the mental aspect of it, the physical side will come up to, to, to join that and you're going to be successful. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for listening. If, if this episode blessed you, please share this with somebody. Um, uh, if you want any more recommendations, anything like that, you know, don't forget to send your questions in to fit the number four kingdom 2021 at gmail.com, or you can message me on Facebook messenger or post on the fit for the kingdom, uh, Facebook group. I love all of you guys. And I will drop another episode Monday. We'll see you next time on Fit for the Kingdom.